Gracious God, you speak to us in so many ways. You speak to us through your words, through your holy word. Bless this time of reflection this morning. My words reflecting on your word. May it bear much fruit to your glory and in service of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start with a prayer this morning. Another one. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. That is a prayer by Thomas Merton, and it's a very powerful prayer. It's one that I have prayed many, many, many times in my life, probably no more than in the last few years. This year we are journeying through the year of Luke. And Luke's gospel is all about discipleship. Well, they all are, really. But Luke's gospel is about journeying together. In fact, most of the key points in Luke's gospel happen on the road, on the way somewhere, from one place to another. Think about um, a passage that's only in Luke's gospel and not in the others would be the road to Emmaus resurrection story. And it happens in a conversation walking along the road. Luke's very deliberately done that because he's encouraging his readers to see that this is a journey of faith, that we journey together. We're accompanied by others, walking and discussing, learning and growing together. And that's what we're trying to do here in this service, is to just journey together, to learn, to discuss, to bounce ideas off each other and to grow together. Well, today we are celebrating St Matthias. We don't hear very much about him. There's nothing about him in any of the four Gospels. But in the book of Acts, which we heard from this morning, we discover that he's one of the two that was discerned as potentially having the necessary gifts of leadership to replace Judas Iscariot. Now, there were 12 disciples, we know that. And 12 is a very important number, especially for Jewish people, because of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus had chosen 12. Now, Matthias, this is after Judas had betrayed him and, and died, consequently, and they have to replace him. Big choice. Big choice. Hard decision. Matthias had been a follower, literally, of Jesus from the time of his baptism by John until the ascension. 
He would have been there when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He would have been there at the Last Supper. Sorry to disappoint those of you who think it looked like what da Vinci painted. (laughs) There were more people there and there probably was no table. There certainly were no chairs. Matthias would have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have been observing with the others through the events of Jesus' crucifixion and death. He would have been there gathered in the upper room probably when Jesus appeared. And he would have been there again at Pentecost. There were many more followers and disciples than the twelve, including women and probably children. We don't know that, but probably. But the role of the twelve as the leaders moving forward was very significant. So this was an important choice to make. And Marco, if you could put the next slide up for me. Thank you. Bit of a collage of images here I've put together for St Matthias. We see the crucifixion and the resurrection depicted. We see that Matthias was a man of prayer, as they all were. Jesus had taught them how to pray, and we know from the book of Acts that that is what they did. One of the four key things that the early church gathered for was to pray. He was willing to be chosen to serve. Not a small matter. He was chosen to be blessed and he was chosen to be sent. So we see his feet. He actually had to walk the talk. He had to travel to strange and distant places and tell them the good news and teach and preach. He would gather groups of people together to form faith communities like this one, and he would baptise and train up new leaders. Then he would move on, just like Paul did, just like the other disciples did. Now the fish image up here reminds us of his purpose, what he went out to teach. The origins of the fish, it's not just Christians who put them on their cars, (laughs) it means, it comes from the Greek word ichthus. Ichthus means fish. And it came about when Christians were being persecuted and it was a a secret sign. So somebody might get their their toe and they'd just draw one line, one of the halves of the fish in the dirt. Couldn't be seen to be anything. But if the other person was a Christian, they would draw the other line. And yet nobody else would recognise what they were doing. Now fish is broken down into the Greek words... I won't tell you what the Greek are, you don't need to know that, but it's, it's each letter spells out something that says Jesus Christ, God's Son, and our Saviour. So it was the earliest form of creed. We sang the creed before. This was the earliest form of creed, was to draw a fish. When you drew that fish, you were saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord, he's God's Son, he's my Lord and Saviour. That was the message that Matthias was given to teach. He preached Jesus the Christ, crucified, died and risen as Lord and Saviour. He didn't just tell people about a good bloke who told a few catchy stories, healed a few people and knew how to fish. Apostleship carried great responsibility. So what is apostleship? 
What's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Apostle means one who is sent to proclaim the risen Christ. So we are all apostles. Disciple means a follower of Jesus. We are all disciples. So sometimes they get called the 12 apostles, sometimes they get called the 12 disciples. But it was bigger than 12 and it's bigger than 12 now. Both of these names carry great responsibility. And in the middle of this image, we see the, the, the um, dice, for the image for casting lots to discern God's will. Not quite flipping a coin or a quick game of two-up to decide. <laughs> but that would be quite unusual for us to do. But it's just the same sort of thing. It's the equivalent of drawing the short straw. You've heard that. You hold the straws and everyone pulls one out and the person who gets the short straw, they've got to do the rotten job. (laughs) Others would have thought that this was the long straw, actually, because they would have seen a lot of kudos involved in being one of the 12. But we know the truth was it was pretty hard. It seems a bit random, doesn't it, to take such an important decision so lightly and to decide such a thing of import so flippantly. Seems like they're advocate, abdicating sorry, responsibility for deciding for themselves. So why did they cast lots? Well, because the outcome, the decision was not in any way biased or subjective. No one could back their favourite. No one could bag the opposition. Maybe we should do this for federal elections. (laughs) The final choice was not based on popularity or political persuasion. Then they prayed for God's wisdom to prevail and they cast lots. They'd narrowed it down to two candidates. So they'd done the work, they'd done the discernment work. But they left the final decision to God. Christian leadership is not something that's earned from worldly values or success. It's all about the heart. And God has a way of sifting through to find the godly hearts and the servant spirits because then he can use. And that's what's so exciting to be part of this church at this point is that that is what God is doing. Godly hearts and servant spirits, God can use them. So Matthias's charge was to take his place in the ministry and apostleship to witness to the risen Christ. But often there's far too much focus on the twelve. Theirs was a very specific role of leadership, but it didn't mean they were holier or more gifted. They just got to become spoons. Everyone seen apostle spoons? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? They used to have sets of silver apostle spoons and each, each handle was a very, very thin, long apostle standing like that. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit of a red herring. <laughs> they weren't more holy, they weren't more gifted and they weren't more able to spread the good news. They were just the ones chosen to lead, to train, to empower and to equip others for ministry. Nothing much has changed on both sides. We still often put far too much emphasis on the leaders and assume that their role is to do all the ministry. Ministers minister and congregations congregate. 
That is not Christian. (laughs) We can treat our clergy or our parish council and wardens in the same way. It's their job to do the ministry. No. It's their job to help us to do the ministry. I just this morning had to send off a copy of the ordinal for priests as the service we we, um, do when we ordain son of a priest in an incumbency committee and they asked me for a copy of it so I sent it off quickly this morning. Um, It's it's really worth reading because the focus of what the, the Archbishop says before they ordain someone and then the promises that you make are that you will equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not that you'll do it all. Sometimes we lose sight of that. So leaders are not chosen by virtue of ordination or because we cast lots. We are chosen by virtue of what? Yeah, more basic than that. Our baptism. Our baptism. That is our initiation into apostleship, into discipleship, into ministry and into leadership. But we can take great comfort from the fact that God always meets us where we are. We don't have to jump through a number of hoops or achieve a certain level of holiness to be God's disciples. Faithfulness and obedience are the key requirements. You'll hear again, Nancy, trust and obey. We keep coming back to this point, trust and obedience Faith and obedience. In our Philippians reading today, excuse me, my voice is going, Paul is encouraging all the believers to step up and get involved. He says, just as I imitate Christ, imitate me. He had founded this church. It was a group of Jewish believers who were followers of Jesus, mainly women, led by a woman, And he had set up the beginning there of a house church, which she and they continued to run. And he encouraged them to grow in their faith, to grow in wisdom, to be resilient and courageous, to keep on keeping on, even when the going got tough. And not to forget why they were doing what they were, but to keep their eyes on Jesus, not to look back, and to make sure that they were passing their faith on from one group to another. Not just to have their faith and then share it amongst themselves and that was all that happened. Learning from one another and passing on what they knew to be true. Now we've spoken quite a bit over the past couple of years about the importance of passing on the baton of faith. If I were to start reading a poem, In Flanders' fields, the poppies grow. Most of you would be able to. Keep going. And part of that poem is the plea to pass on the torch to the next generation. How is it that our society understands that and lives that out every Anzac Day, every Remembrance Day, but we do not do the same when it comes to our faith, lest we forget You only have to see the crowds that gather on Anzac Day. 
compared to the crowds that gather in church. Are we committed to passing on our faith? If we are, then it's going to affect how we behave when we come to church. It's going to affect how we worship. It's going to affect our commitment to being truly intergenerational, how we serve and contribute. It's going to affect the conversations we have with our family, with our children, our grandchildren, and even our great-grandchildren, and our friends. It's not separate. (laughs) Paul speaks very negatively about those who were enemies of the cross of Christ. It's interesting because he doesn't say enemies of Christ. He says enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who don't want to take part in Christ's suffering. Those who are happy to speak of a loving God who will bless us whatever we do. Which is true, but only part of the truth but who want no part in the reality of discipleship and the cost that comes with it. Those who can't or won't walk the talk when it starts to get messy or noisy or impinges on what's comfortable or on what my personal preferences are. John's Gospel today reminds us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Not fruit that's going to go rotten on the vine. Fruit that will last. What is the fruit that you have borne in your life? What is the fruit that we have borne as a faith community? Well, good news is it's never too late. You're never too old. Part of bearing fruit is to be pruned and fed. Part of bearing fruit is to deal with the bugs and the things that threaten the plant. A bit of antifungus here and there doesn't go, go astray. A bit of black spot spray. We need to change the soil because that's what we draw our nutrition from. I know if you keep a pot in a plant, a plant in a pot, sorry, and you just keep it there for years and years and years and years and years, the soil actually becomes Not only rotten, but it poisons the plant. We have to change the soil. We have to stir up the roots a bit so that it stays healthy, so that it keeps growing and so that it can bear fruit. And new growth is always possible with God. Do you know there's over in in Israel, there are olive trees that are 2,000 years old. They still grow. They didn't stop growing 2,000 years ago. We're actually going to pick up this theme a little bit in our Lenten series, um, not next week, but the week after. So I want us to be really encouraged today and hang on to a few of the images. There's been a lot of images today. I'm conscious of that. So let's just think about some of them for a minute. Discipleship, journeying along the road together. Apostleship, proclaiming and sharing the risen Christ. Matthias, his example of being willing to serve God wherever he was asked. He based his life on prayer. He was willing to walk the talk and work with his lot in life. 
that leadership and ministry are for all, not just a chosen few. The importance of passing on the baton of faith, taking it on, holding on to it strongly and making sure that the next generation is poised, ready to take hold of it, not just throwing it at them and letting it fall to the floor, but making sure their hand is ready to take hold of it. Being imitators of Christ and of those like Paul and Matthias who've added to our legacy of faith and bearing fruit that will last, that will last. But that means being willing to subject ourselves to the rigour of becoming a fruit-bearing tree in God's garden. So just take a little moment to sit with that. We're just going to sit quietly for a moment. And just allow one or two of these images to settle into you. And then I'm just going to conclude briefly. Being a follower of Christ is a huge privilege and it's a huge responsibility. For the last three weeks, we've been following this theme of putting out into the deep. We started with Jesus teaching the disciples to think differently and to try something new. And this is a call from God to all of us to drop our preconceptions, to let go of our self-assuredness and our self-reliance the things that the world plants in us and values so highly, to let go and to trust in the one, the only one, who creates from nothing, who brings light out of darkness, who brings hope out of despair and life out of death. So just to close the loop, My prayer for us, for you, for each one of you and for us as a community, may our legacy in this place for future generations be this, that when they think of us, they will say, they left everything and followed him. And that has made all the difference. The Lord be with you.